Well, hot on the heels of our study in the book of James last week, we now arrive at the passage which is arguably the best known part of the book of James. Not only is it the best known part, but it's also a part that has caused no end of debate over the years. Is heading in the ESV, is faith without works, is dead. Please turn with me to James chapter 2. We'll be reading from verses 14 to 26. It's on page 1012 in the church Bible. Before we read that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we come to you this morning with open hands, asking for you to bless us through your word. We ask that you would minister to us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Will you open up our minds and give us hearts ready to receive all that you have for us through this scripture, we pray. Grow us in our faith and our understanding and our love for you. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So James chapter 2 from verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, he's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was it not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them by, out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now I'm sure that we have all met lots of people that claim to be a Christian yet live a life that is utterly inconsistent with scripture or even in rebellion to it. It's not uncommon, is it? A life that looks no different to somebody in the world. The sort of person that if charged in a court of law for being a Christian, they would not be able to be prosecuted due to a lack of evidence. What good is it, my brothers, James asks, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Now for evangelical Christians that believe and understand that salvation is received by grace alone through faith alone. This passage, as you can imagine, has caused some confusion when read out of context. In fact, it's well known that Martin Luther, who the Lord used as one of the men to bring about the Reformation 500 years ago, didn't like this letter at all. 
in his notes on the New Testament, he called the book of James the epistle of straw. And like many that have come to a a biblical understanding of Christianity from a a legalistic, works-based religion, he had an allergic reaction to anything that spoke about works. But my hope is that as we will see this morning, when everything is lined up in the correct order, then this passage isn't controversial at all. It certainly isn't the Apostle Paul versus James as dubbed by some as if their teachings contradict one another. No. We will see, I'm sure, that both James and Paul's teachings work in perfect harmony with one another. And to help us do this, we have to remind ourselves, don't we, what both James and Paul were wanting to achieve through their epistles. Firstly, if you're using the church Bible, then just turn back a page to James chapter 1, verse 22, because this is key to us understanding our passage this morning. We We covered this a few sermons ago, didn't we? Verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now we want to make sure that we have this in our minds as we go through our passage together this morning. Because we remember, don't we, that one of the aims in what James our author had in mind throughout his letter is to remind his already Christian readers how a Christian should live once already saved. In fact, the whole theme of everything that we've looked at in the last five or so sermons in this series has focused, hasn't it, on how Christians should live and behave once in Christ. As we know, James is writing to believers. These are people that have already been saved or, or justified, as James calls it. And justified is a, is a legal term for being found not guilty. And when it's used in the Bible, this is another way of, of saying that somebody is saved. Saved meaning that they've been born again, resulting in that person having eternal security. And nothing can change that. When someone is truly saved, they are justified. No longer waiting to receive the penalty of our sins of the past or or the present, or of any of our sins in the future, because Jesus paid the price for every single one of them on the cross for those in Christ, didn't he? There's no to-in and fro-in from being saved to unsaved, depending on how well we're performing in life. The Bible's clear on this, and if someone does go on to depart the faith at some point, then that is an evidence that they were never truly saved in the first place. The root of the salvation in a, in a believer's life is solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not hedging their bets by half-trusting Jesus and half-trusting upon their own works. Or by flirting with other religions. No. If they were doing that, they would have the wrong gospel and one that doesn't save. And therefore, they wouldn't be Christians. Everything that James is about to say in this passage is with all of this in mind. He's concerning himself about how a Christian ought to live after being saved. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So just quickly note this to, to reinforce what we've just said. What good is it, my brothers? James is talking to Christians. That's why he's calling them brothers. And he then asks an important question, doesn't he? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, 
Can that faith save him? Well, James goes on to call this a dead faith. And the answer is no. The answer is no, because the people that James has in view are people that pay lip service and are a Christian in name only. So this is either an unsaved person, either pretending to be a Christian, or one that is self-deceived. They're a Christian in name only. Now, for an example, if I were to jump out of a plane without a parachute, it doesn't matter how loudly or to how many people I go around telling people that I've got a parachute strapped to my back. If I jump and there's no parachute, I'm in trouble, aren't I? Empty words without action has no value, right? Now, it's a fascinating thing for us to reflect on for a moment because we have to separate what's going on here in our passage from our experience of what it's like being a Christian here in Eastbourne in 2023. Not so much now, but certainly in decades gone by, if you said that you were a Christian here in the UK, there would have been a benefit to that, wouldn't there? On a CV, you would have been thought of as a, as a moral and a trustworthy person. It's likely that you would have been thought of as a respectable person within your community. If you would have been saying that 2,000 years ago, and if you wasn't one really, that wouldn't have been very wise. If you said that you were a Christian within the earshot of a wrong person, back then you were going to get killed. We know, don't we, don't we that one of Nero's favourite pastimes was to, to persecute Christians. Not too dissimilar to what we heard the other Tuesday about what's going on in some parts of India right now with Emmanuel. Now from what I can tell, apart from gaining a new group of friends 2,000 years ago, there were zero benefits to being a self-deceived counterfeit Christian. None. Zero benefits in this life and zero benefits in the life to come. Yeah, here we are. There were some back then, just like we have today, and just like we read in Scripture where the wheat is sown among the tares, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What a dreadful thought that is, to, to be so self-deceived, to think that you're a born-again Christian, but to find out on the day of judgment that your faith is dead. Not only that, but the faith that one such of these confessed was never actually alive in the first place. It was a counterfix, counterfeit, hoax, a faith that bore no fruit. It's a dead face. And the purpose of James here isn't to condemn people or to rob anyone of their assurance, is it? No, he stands as a warning both to the original audience and to us that whilst we are still alive, we are to examine ourselves to confirm whether we are truly in Christ. Paul and Peter say the same thing, don't they? Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, we read, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. And why is this such great advice? Because if you do not have the genuine thing, there's still time to, to repent and believe, isn't there? How many people over the last 2,000 years have heed this warning to examine themselves, to find themselves unsaved? 
to be able to go from a, a counterfeit faith to a to a true saving faith in the Lord. What a gift. The opportunity to to truly repent and to put one's faith in the Lord, to then be born again of the Spirit of God. And as we know, there will be people in our town right now that have once made a, a false profession of faith. Maybe they raised a hand or, or walked an aisle at some point in their life. Maybe they were baptised as a baby and still look back to that event as to the reason as to why they're a Christian. Maybe they, they wear a cross around their neck and think that's what it means to be a, a believer. And yet for some, their faith is dead. Never been alive. So what does this look like? What does James want his readers to do? Peter says to be diligent to confirm our election. Paul says to examine ourselves. So how do we do that? But it shows up in how we live, or as James calls it, our works. Just like an apple tree produces apples, a, a true Christian will bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, be in that work in their life, won't they? Where, as a spiritually dead person, they'll produce no fruit. An example of this, if I was to just go around for the rest of the morning claiming to be an apple tree, how many apples do you think I'll grow? None, right? And that's the point that James is making. There'll be no lasting evidence for I am a, an apple tree, regardless of how vocal I am about being one. James's point is that a true, authentic faith produces works. It is the fruit of a person being rooted in Christ. It was the Lord, wasn't it, that likened people's lives to trees. He made the point that a good tree bears good fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them, he said. James then goes on now to, to show the emptiness of words without action. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is again illustrating the value of lip service here, isn't he? It's of no value to anyone. And this can be physically seen in our illustration, can't it? How much comfort did the brother or sister poorly clothed and lacking in daily food get from the, the words of this insincere cheerleader? None. Because it's just talk, isn't it? Backed up with no substance. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, I don't think the term actions speak louder than words was coined when this letter was written, but that's what essentially James is saying here, isn't he? And as one commentary noted, people with dead faith often substitute deeds with words. The people James is talking about with dead faith may look like the real deal. They may know the, the correct words to use in prayer and in Christian fellowship. They may be able to quote the right verses from the Bible, but their walk does not measure up to their talk. They talk the talk, but do not walk for walk. In our passage, James has given us a, a simple illustration. As they, a poor believer comes into the fellowship without proper clothing and the need for food, and the person with dead faith notices this visitor and and saw their needs 
But what did they do? They did nothing to meet their needs, did they? All he did was say a few religious words, go in peace, be warmed and filled. But the visitor went away, just as hungry as he came in, didn't he? Talk is cheap, especially when it doesn't cost us anything, isn't it? The person with a dead faith knows the right words, but his words are not backed up with his works. I'm sure that we've all experienced this in our own lives. Have you ever met someone that is very loud about being a Christian to then find out that they're actually a very unpleasant person? The more that you're around them, the more that they show rotten, ungodly fruit. Maybe they're argumentative or disruptive, proud, unkind. You can picture it and add to the list yourselves, I'm sure. No fruit of the faith, just the signs of a dead faith. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And this is obviously not to say that as Christians we become perfect when we become believers, as if it was possible for us to to stop sinning. Don't we just all wish that that was the case? But the words that James is speaking of is a is a new posture towards godliness, isn't it? Our new hearts seek for the things of God. It isn't that we stop sinning, but our relationship to sin changes, doesn't it? Whereas before we could sin all day long and we could happily marinate in it and think nothing of it, but now, once you're a believer, you can't stand it, can you? The spirit within the Christian begins to, to change our affections. The way that we spend our time changes, doesn't it? We have an appetite to want to draw near to the Lord. We develop a radar in wanting to love and to help people. It wouldn't be enough just to see this brother or sister like we see in our passage and just wish them well to then go on about our day. No. Our heart would be like the Lord's to, to help carry their burdens. For if my brother or sister is hurting, then I am hurting too. The Holy Spirit gives a Christian a heart that wants to, to respond to all that the Lord has done in our lives. We begin, don't we, to, to want to, to please God by doing the things that he wants us to do. Not to earn salvation, but in response to it. It's important that we remember that. This isn't to earn salvation. These are already Christians. This is the response to it. And the opposite is also true as we as we learn things along our Christian walk and become convicted in doing things that displease God. We seek to stop doing them, don't we? That's what repentance is and why it's not a, a one-time thing that we did when we were saved. Repentance is a daily activity in a Christian's life. As we remember that salvation is all of the Lord. As Puritan Thomas Brooks said, though no man merits assurance by his obedience, it is true that God usually crowns obedience with assurance, and it's all by the grace of God. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now this verse may seem like it's just been shoehorned in randomly, randomly upon first reading, but it hasn't. Because again, James is focused on drawing out the, the emptiness of lip service and the, the consequences of a dead faith. Is it enough just to acknowledge that there is a God to be saved? Here he's, he's telling us, isn't he? The demons who are fallen angels know 
more about Jesus and the Bible than we do. Satan believes in God. He knows that God exists with every fibre of his being, but of what use is that to the devil? The process of becoming a Christian isn't a, a case of being convinced by someone that God does exist, or even that Jesus is a real historical figure. No, this is important for us to know, because otherwise you can be engaged in conversation with someone, both nodding away, sounding like you're talking about the same things of God, but actually you're not at all. We've said this before, mention Jesus to a Muslim. They'll tell you that they love him. They believed he existed. Is that enough? No. Believing in Jesus as just a prophet is as useless as not thinking he ever existed in the first place. And just like every other counterfeit religion that acknowledges that there is a generic God or, or many gods, dead religion, dead at the root, on the day of judgment, they will hear, get away from me. I never knew you. If salvation doesn't come from just believing, then how does it come? We must know the answer to this because it's the, the most important question anyone can ever ask, isn't it? Because it's just a bit like a... I guess it's, it's the difference between looking at one of these chairs, knowing that it's a chair, and actually sitting in it, isn't it? They're two different things. Both reactions believe that it's a chair, but only one is trusting in the chair by sitting in it. You can get as close to the chair, you can become an expert in the material used, the fabric, the wood. You could do studies in how they're made or, or how they were transported. You could learn the Greek and the Hebrew word for the chair. You could learn how much it weighs and where it was made, but unless you're actually found sitting in the chair, then it's of no benefit at all, is it? A true Christian is someone that is resting on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Someone that has thrown off any hope of saving themselves. Someone that knows that they have sinned towards a holy God and by the power of the Holy Spirit have come to a point where they repent and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. A Christian is someone that is sitting and resting in the chair, so to speak. Not hedging their bets, being half on one chair on half another. No, a Christian is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and is resting upon Christ. And are you trusting in him for forgiveness of your sins? Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, it's important that we understand where James is coming from here so that we don't create a false conflict with Paul's teachings. We spoke about this earlier, didn't we? Firstly, it's important to note that James and Paul were coming from two completely different angles. For Paul in his ministry at large, he was concerned about how somebody becomes justified. This is the starting point of the Christian faith. This is the question of how does someone get right with God? And as we know, in his ministry, he came up against a lot of legalism, didn't he? Legalism is where someone believes that they can do things or give things to satisfy the debt of our sin with God. 
basically saved by one's own works, which is a completely false gospel. But for James, we know he was in full agreement with the gospel of grace. He was there at the Jerusalem Council, wasn't he, in Acts 15. So what's going on here? Well, we have to remember that James's angle was all about the life of the Christian, and he was fighting against another ditch at that time, and, and one we fight today, that believers fall into, called antinomianism. This is the belief that because of God's grace, a, a Christian can live as they wish without any fault of obedience to God or, or the things that pleases him. It's the mindset that says I will carry on sinning so that grace may abound. Both James and Paul would both say no, and hopefully we would as well. They'd say no way to this, wouldn't they? It's also important that we understand how both Paul and James use the word works because they also use this in a slightly different way. For Paul, when he talks about works, he's talking about the works of the law. When James talks about works, he's talking about the outworking of an already existing faith. Different. The way that James uses the word justification is different as well. For James, justification means vindication. And this vindication of one's faith was demonstrated by a believer's works. It's the fruit of their faith. And James is pointing our passage is that a living faith will authenticate itself. It will vindicate itself in the production of these works verse 21 was not abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son isaac on the altar you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works he's saying here was abraham's faith proven by his works and his willingness to offer up his son isaac on the altar isn't obedience to God the fruit of already being saved? Abraham's faith and works worked hand in hand together, didn't they? His faith produced works. As William Tyndale put it, faith justified Abraham and was the mother of all his good works, which he did afterwards. Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham's faith was vindicated, it was proven, wasn't it? His works were an evidence of his salvation. By grace through faith he was reconciled to God, which led to these works. Verse 24, you see that, as a, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Again, James here provides a second example to make sure that his readers fully understand the message. Verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. As we draw to a close, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It's on page 976 in the Church Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll read from verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray.